It's the Montreal Show where sports insiders share their secrets. This is the Melnick in the Afternoon Podcast from TSN 690. So you might have heard that it's All-Star Weekend approaching in Toronto. And among the celebrations, because nothing's happened recently in Toronto, is a salute to this team. In front of the net, 14 seconds. 13, it's a pass up for Richard. Stopped by Marcel Cronenberg. It's Copeland. Flicking it down the ice of a little blue line. Three seconds, two, one. The over. The Toronto Maple Leafs have won the Stanley Cup. What a tremendous hockey game this was. Fantastic. Yeah. 1967. I mean, it was so long ago. new group with the Monkees is called the Jimi Hendrix Experience, and they've joined the Monkees Concert Tour of the U.S. They weren't in there in the very beginning. It's just over the past couple of days. Now, when Keener brings you the Monkees in Detroit, on July the 29th, the Jimi Hendrix Experience will be with the Monkees. Uh, Jimmy's 22 years old and was discovered in Greenwich Village, New York, and invited by the manager of the Animals to audition for a new group being formed in England and it happened and the Jimi Hendrix experience is the name of the group and they've had a couple of top ten hits in England. Hey Joe is one of them and the Purple Haze is the other and this is their first appearance in America. So a new group, Jimi Hendrix experience traveling with the Monkees. <laughs> the last time the Leafs won the cup, Jimi Hendrix was opening for the Monkees. That double bill lasted about three shows. It's been so long. Ali here today, a victor in his greatest fight ever. The Supreme Court exonerated him for refusing military induction. It wasn't close. The score was eight to nothing. Howard Cosell. That's how long ago it was. The Leafs won their last Stanley Cup. Eddie Matthews was still playing baseball. Matthews singled up the middle his first time up and struck out. He's one for two. Jim went at second. Rusty Staub at first. And nobody out here in the sixth. Juan Marichal scratches the pitch. Will hit ball in the deep right field. Way back round number 500 for Eddie Matthews. Matthews has just hit the golden 500. Win and stomp. Cross in front of him. And this has got to be a tremendous thrill. The entire Astros bench is up. Eddie Matthews has just hit his 500th home run. Wow. Harry Callis, longtime voice of the Phillies on that uh, call. Eddie Matthews played most of his career with the Braves, but he finished up, as you heard, with the Houston Astros. That's how long it's been. Lucas Scott, is there a team? I did this with Jerry Seinfeld. I knew Seinfeld was a big baseball fan. And we talked to him ahead of his Montreal appearance. I said, "Uh, Jerry, Mets or Yankees? He said, Mets. Give me the 69 Mets, position by position. He gave it to me. John Still? You here when Sean Lemon proved his worth as a lifelong Cowboys fan? I was. I think he dropped every player on the wow. uh, early to mid '90s Cowboys. His father was a Cowboys fan. Sean's going to join us in studio next Wednesday. We have a Super Bowl roundtable with the Owls. I can give you almost any Expos Canadians team and a bunch of out of town teams too, including the '67 Leafs. I think '71 Bruins for sure. Is there a team that you could do that without looking it up? Oh, man, let's go Lakers fan. Yeah, what yeah, kind of Lakers fan are you? Let's go. You're on the clock. Tick, Maybe the... Tick, uh, tick, tick. Not even one name yet. 09 Lakers. I could probably do that. 
or O ten, whatever. Those one of the back to back championship teams. Ah, you put me on the spot here though. Okay, so obviously Kobe Bryant, Pau Gasol, Andrew Bynum, Derek Fisher, Sasha Vujacic, Luke Walton. Um, well, that's pretty good. You got you got Lam- six right there. Lamar Odom. Uh, I want to say Shannon Brown. Um, uh, this is DJ Mbenga. Oh, man. I think you're only one. Uh, no, you're two away. Mm. No, Ronnie no, you're Turi three, you're three, you're three away. Oh, that's out of what? 12, 12 players on that team? How many? This is bothering Seven, eight, me. Nine. Yeah, no, you, you did well. 13. You, I 13. don't expect you to run through the entire roster. I'm, I'm, on just, Shannon I'm just talking Brown. like the starters. Shannon, that was Brown, Shannon Brown was impressive. Yeah. You missed uh, Josh what? Powell. Yeah, okay. Hold on. Uh, is this all memorized from Xbox? <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, listen, the 2K games do help, of course. But, okay, who are the other two? Um, Adam Morrison. Ah, uh, that's a classic. Should have should remembered that. And I don't know, did you name Meta? Yeah, okay. Well, no, I didn't. But, okay. yeah, Meta. And then the year before that, it was Trevor Ariza. So you got everyone else. Shannon Brown, Kobe Bryant, Andrew Bynum, Jordan Farmer. Jordan Farmer, yeah. Derek Fisher, Paul Gasol, Mbenga, Morrison, Odom, Powell, Vuv, how do you say Vujicic. it? Vujicic, Walton, Meta World Peace. Nicely done. Well if done. I had an applause uh, button to push, I'd push it. <sighs> I think uh, <laughs> I got one. Go ahead. Pat yourself on the back there. <laughs> I am going to, at some point, ask John Still for one. Later, not right now. When he's least prepared for it. No, oh, jeez. <laughs> Maybe we'll do that with Mike as well, Mike Johnson. Mike, give us the roster of the Canadians team you played on. The whole roster. <laughs> if he's unprepared, how many do you think he could name who played a minimum of uh, like 25 games that season? Hey, it's All-Star Week. <laughs> and uh, there's no other trade percolating that we're aware of as we speak to the point where something is leaked. Although, again, Darren Drager reporting, the Flyers are taking calls on Scott Lawton. What's your question of the day? Question of the day is uh, based on uh, Dan Quinn. Um, just uh, as a sports fan, we've all had these moments where, you know, you, you you were expecting the big shiny toy and you got the knockoff and you're like, meh. What sports decision by your favorite team made you go, meh? Could be a coaching hire, could be a free agent, could be a trade. One going one way or the other, but you're just like, eh. eh. Or I alluded to it earlier in the week. What? The Expos are bringing Jim Fanning back to manage? What are they doing? Oh, this is this should be the best Major League Baseball team in the 80s. Your favorite member of the 69 Mets? Tommy Agee. Tommy Agee in center field. Right field. Ron Swoboda. Left field. Left field. Who played left? Cleon Jones. You got it. Catcher. Jerry Grody. First base. Ed Cranepool. Second base. (laughs) And Boswell. Shortstop. Buddy Harrelson. Third base. Wayne Garrett. Nicely done. (laughs) (laughs) Way to go, Jerry. Uh, look forward to the show on the 26. That's that a beautiful was a thing. a lot of fun. Yeah. Thank you. Appreciate it very much. Bye-bye. We come on this loop, John B. My grandfather and me. Around Nassau Town.
Welcome back. Earlier today on Campbell Without Gallo, Simon Salikas in all week for Mitch Gallo. TSN's Tessa Bonham. Yeah, man. My uncle plays. Uh, he's been doing keyboards for them for years. He manages the band now while playing keyboards. So, uh, yeah, it's been a... He played for the Monkees before that. So I've been I've been spoiled in terms of concert and backstages that I visited. So um, he's the cool uncle, I guess you could say. And then my other uncle that lives in L.A. Um, does uh, a lot of the guitar... Did a lot of the guitar for Dwight Yoakam's recordings. Uh, so, yeah, so we got a talented musical bunch on my dad's side of the family, to say the least. How about that? Huh? Love learning things for the first time. Listening to Campbell and uh, Simon Salikas, Tessa Bonomen. I was just mentioning the monkeys and Jimi Hendrix. Her uncle is named Tim Bonham. He's from Sudbury, and he met Mike Love in California uh, in the very early 90s. Mike Love uh, had his own band at the time. It was called Mike Love's California Beach Band. And then a few years later, uh, he started running the Beach Boys and managing the Beach Boys and booking the Beach Boys. And uh, that was in 1996, and he's still there. He's taken over managing the band, as you heard Tessa talk about, Tim Bonham of the Beach Boys. Still plays keyboards. Wherever you see the Beach Boys, you'll see... Tessa Bonham's uncle. Not sure who the other uncle is, the former guitar dude for Dwight Yoakam, but uh, thank you for that. Sean Campbell and Simon Salikas earlier today, Tessa Bonham. Welcome back. It's Melnick in the Afternoon on TSN 690, All-Star Weekend. I know John's not watching anything, even the newfangled skills competition. (laughs) I am not. This has been since last Thursday with a brief run through the next morning of the Canadians and Penguins last Saturday night. This has been a full week vow of no sports on television, and it's going to continue until Monday. How about you, Luca? Are you intending the All-Star? You're probably watching hoops, though, right? Yeah, I got always got to keep eye out on the hoops for sure, but I, I, the NHL All-Star game has never really, I, not for years at least, appealed to me. It's just MLB and basketball for me are by far and away the best All Star yep. weekends or days. Just games, just yes. the games. It's 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 not a chore to watch them. No, the only thing that I will be uh, tuning into, and I really thought about doing still snarly about this, was uh, was the draft, the player draft, because uh, the, the whole reason you couldn't do the player draft is poor Phil Kessel. Phil Kessel had people take pictures of him. Just like, what are we to do if a multimillionaire gets picked last in gym? Like, it was just so embarrassing that for years, something that was actually successful, something that people actually wanted to watch, Phil Kessel had Alex Ovechkin laughing at him, and for years they decided to take it off. It's uh, It was it's like the reverse so of participation dumb. trophies. That's what it <laughs> He's was. He's an all-star. He's at the all-star game. This isn't like the last pick in the National Hockey League. He's not the last of 30 by 30, like 900 people. He's one of maybe 50 of the most privileged, most talented athletes in the sport at the time. And because some people made fun of him on Twitter, it had to be kiboshed. Had to kibosh it. But who got the last laugh, huh? Phil Kessel. Exactly. NHL Ironman and a Stanley Cup. And still looking for work. (laughs) That's true. That's another name that's out there. So the... The question of the day, we're going to get to still Starley in a few minutes, right? We're going to do that before Mike Johnson joins us? All right. Is uh, what move uh, by your uh, favorite sports team made you go, meh? 
I mentioned Jim Fanning returning as manager. I feel like I'm picking on the late Jim Fanning uh, this week, but that's that's how it was. Uh, that was the wrong move to make. Um, it was just there was no respect for Jim Fanning. Plenty of respect for Fanning, the man and the organizational dude and the scout as a GM, but not as a manager. And it hurt that franchise quite a bit in the early 80s. Because then they felt because the players were walking all over Jim Fanning, they hired the first of two drill sergeants, Bill Verdon. Wrong place, wrong time, wrong city. Bill Verdon used to stand there in the dugout, whether he was managing the uh, the Pirates or the Expos. And he always had his biceps on display. His arms were folded, and he had the, you know... Like, if you're in good shape, your biceps have a pretty good look to them, no matter, right? No matter yeah, what kind of pose sure. you have. But he would he would do this arms across the chest and kind of just underneath the bicep with the hand, just kind of throw them out there a little more. <laughs> Don't mess with me, Bill Verdon. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was, a, it was just actually, brutal. That actually makes the biceps not look as good. You're like adding a little bit of pushing the fat up in there. You're like... All right. Oh, no, de- no, fat. no definition here. No fat on Bill Verdon at the time. That was the whole point of trying to show off. Oh, boy. Okay. Responses? Before we get to a, a Some of the responses we're getting tickets. so far. Um, this is one that uh, came up that, uh, again, as not be really a wrestling fan, this kind of surprised me. Brock Lesnar beating The Undertaker at mm. WrestleMania and ending The Undertaker's winning streak. Yeah, it shouldn't have been him. How long was that winning streak for? 20, I believe at the time it was 21 or 22. I remember people going insane over that. No. And then there's the eternal, I guess, meme of the dude in the, the fan with his eyes. Oh, that's from that. Head. That's yes. from that moment. Okay, yes. that's very funny, actually. Um, one that kind of stood out to me, and I know that the the, the Canadians were able to get to a uh, to an Eastern Conference final, but it was like Bob Gainey. He's got all the money in the world. And he signed Brian Gianta and Mike Camilleri. Well, that was math for you. That that you th- those guys, what? those guys. You can't argue those guys didn't produce. No, oh, I know, but y- you know, it was, what? it was it was so much hype. And look, like again, good players. They Scott Gomez. The run. trade was was bad for Scott Gomez. Yeah, but, but the, 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 way, the way that it was hyped up, how much money he had to play with, that that was the guys you brought in. Well, that like, goes <laughs> along the lines with uh, uh, Leafs suck. We know that, but from '94 till '04, pre-cap, the Canadians, one of the richest teams, didn't break the bank for superstars. Were Molson and Gillette that cheap? No. You know how badly they. Tra- Nobody wanted to play here. That's right. <laughs> Nobody. They they wooed Brendan Shanahan. I think they took him on the golf course. They brought a helicopter out. They tried to get the highest paid, highest profile free agents out there. Nobody was interested in signing with the Canadians. And the ones that were, you had to tack on an extra year to fully entice them and pry them away from whomever else they were having serious discussions with. Fact of life. That's what it was. They weren't cheap. Man, oh man, there are some... Uh some angry Canadians fans on Facebook. <laughs> Foxhole Bergevin burning the initial goodwill he had with the fan base by hiring Michel Terrier. Yeah, Michel Terrier was a pretty meh hire. Just any time. And again, Claude Julien, like, no disrespect to Claude Julien. It's just like he he was here before. Yes. Anytime you retread the coaches, you're like, meh, meh. This is Kevin. Happened. Bergevin bringing in the three fourth liners instead of skill for the playoffs. Yeah, do you remember the three? <laughs> Martinson's. 
Dwight Ot. King and Steve Ott. <laughs> How dare you, Steve and Ott. They, and I then, love Steve Ott. <laughs> and then he has the audacity to say, after they were eliminated by the Rangers, our goal scorers didn't score. <laughs> Which was true. Which is Patch and Galchenyuk didn't score. What was That's, it? The only, the only goal that Galchenyuk scored like went off of Lundqvist and off of him in the back of the net? It was like, oh my God, he finally scored. Um... Signing Carey Price to an eight-year deal when you knew that he was starting to have knee issues? Okay, Robert. That, well, that's just nonsense. Well, it wasn't eight. It was longer than eight. It was ten, wasn't it? Was it? It's the maximum, right? It wasn't, wasn't it a ten-year deal? Eight? I don't know. Um, hiring Marte St. Louis? Oh, Scott. Oh, Scott, stop. Oh, come on. Tell Silence. We don't even know if no, that's going to out yet. Silence. Silence. Like, for real? Because John still is about to get snarly. Here's Johnny. I am happy when I'm happy. I shall unleash my fury upon you like the crashing of a thousand waves. Be gone, vile man. Be gone from me. I am untethered and my rage knows no bounds. Oh, it's such a perfect day. You just keep me hanging on. John, I'm just getting upset. Very brief, still snarly today, as I just watched uh, Tom Brady miss a putt at the uh, Pebble Beach Pro-Am, which does uh, prove that he is, in fact, a human being. Um, well, he's got the body of a normal human being, doesn't he? He's wearing a sweater, Wartz, too. Uh, I, was wonder- I was wondering this earlier about uh, these sweaters going on here. I was like, is this a new thing? Can you golf in sweaters? Because I'm here for it. I can well, golf in a, in a hoodie. Well, if you're not a real pro, you can Correct. golf in a sweater. All right, by the way, did you notice Aaron Ward's tweet about body types? No. Last night? No. Okay, well, I have a feeling we'll be talking about oh, it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Um, traditions, they're important. The Pro-Am at Pebble Beach. I was thinking more like holistic traditions, societal traditions that we have. Um, of course, celebrating Christmas, uh, getting together with family around Thanksgiving. These are all important traditions. They are milestones in a year that at times can feel like it's dragging on quite long. But there is one tradition that uh, needs to be banished to the annals of history. That tradition pops up tomorrow as we do the conceivably stupid thing of bringing out a groundhog to tell us how many days or weeks of winter there is. This is going to be the 138th edition of whatever the hell this is, Groundhog Day. And for people who don't know, I don't know how you don't know, but if he sees his shadow, we're going to have a lot more winter for six more weeks. But if he doesn't... Here comes spring, baby. He's been accurate apparently 40% of the time, which I will say is our impressive metrics for a groundhog who we usually run over on the side of the road and no one cares about. That's some impressive stats. Might be a first-team All-Pro. I don't know. The groundhog with stats like that. Maggie the monkey at TSN. Didn't she have a better record than that? 400 hitter in the Hall of Fame. Damn good groundhog. But let's. it's over. Let's stop this. People are getting mad every day about what some meteorologist is telling them, and yet every year, some people in top hats come out with a marsupial, and they're just like, "This is this is this is a thing," and people gather to go see it, and people take pictures, and people write stories about it, and it's time to it's it's over. 
This this thing survived through the pandemic. This thing survived one of these top-hatted men being bitten by the groundhog, and they still continued with Groundhog Day. This needs to be over. So let's make all, collectively, something we can all get behind. February 2nd, 2024, the final Groundhog Day in the history of mankind. Because this rodent radar, this feral forecast, this pop-up prophecy must end! Okay. <laughs> as long as you end the uh, tradition of eating haggis on Robbie Burns Day. Well, come on. Eat a groundhog instead. Don't do that. <laughs> Don't do that. But uh, I, I, unfortunately, I was actually researching this. I can even, tell. It wasn't, even, it wasn't even originally a groundhog. This is a German thing that they brought over. They used to do this with badgers. They're like, they ain't got, we don't have any badgers over here. So they moved over the groundhogs. It's over. It's 2024. We have the, you know, the computing power of what we put people on the moon with in our pockets. And we're turning to a groundhog to tell us what's going on. Bet you they got an interview with someone on CJD right now about it. It's quite sad. Texting us at 11690, just ahead of TSN's Mike Johnson. What did the groundhog do to you? Peter says, I saw a robin this morning. Not normal for February, a sign that spring is coming. Um, John, you didn't mention the time they opened the box and the groundhog was dead. <laughs> Peter, Peter from Valley Field. <laughs> okay, well then I'm fighting a losing battle. Because if the groundhog literally died and they're still continuing this, then this is, this is not going to change. TSN's Mike Johnson is normally with us Tuesdays and Thursdays at 435, but there's a lot of stuff going on in Toronto, so he's coming up next. Really, you know, it was really quiet, I will say, until a couple days ago, and it really heated up. I think Vancouver decided they wanted to make a, make a move, and, and there was lots of teams involved, so, you know, I quickly got to all the teams that were had interest in Lindholm and uh, you know I think it was maybe a little earlier than some of them would have liked but you know I said hey I think I'm getting closer to a deal that I feel comfortable with and you know they were all great you know they all kind of threw their best offers at me and in the end uh, you know I thought Vancouver's was was the best deal and it's what's going to help us moving forward. Once again as mentioned earlier former Habs kind of a theme on the show this afternoon much more coming up Craig Conroy general manager of the Calgary Flames after sending Elias Lindholm to Vancouver for Andre Kuzmenko, first-round pick this year, conditional fourth that could turn into a third if the Canucks get to the conference final out west, and a couple of defense prospects. Along with Jonathan Still, Lucas Scott, Andy Bennett will return on Monday. Mitch Melnick with you until 6 o'clock. Good afternoon, former Hab Mike Johnson. How you doing? Very well. You know what? You say Craig Conroy, former Hab. I'm like, right, of course he was. But I don't ever think, you know, I just think of him St. Louis. And I think of him in Calgary. I don't think of him as with the time with the Montreal Canadiens, but he's been busy and he will continue to be busy. It's funny, Jim Rutherford was actually on radio here in Toronto and jokes like, we might do a deal before the All-Star weekend's over. And literally three hours later, he did the deal for Lindholm. So he obviously was sitting on that one. And it's a big one because the Canucks are clearly, clearly going for all-in, believing they have a good shot at winning the Stanley Cup. And... Um, you know, they sell off some assets, they give up a first-rounder, but they're a better team today than they were yesterday, and they were pretty good yesterday. So what else do you think they might do? You know what not stun me, Mitch? Going out on a bit of left field here, but they went, already made the trade for Zadorov, right? 
and it's been fine, and he's a good player. It would not stun me if they traded Zadorov away, recouped some assets, and took a run at Chris Tanev. Another one from Calgary. Like, literally go for a third trade with Calgary, another big-namer. Chris Tanev, of course, well-known in Vancouver, so well-respected. I think he would add something on the right side there. He'd push Tyler Myers down to a third pair and just be a really shut-down kind of guy for a run. Like, I, I think they'd like to get one more kind of stout defensive defenseman to go beyond their second and third their second and third pairs and it wouldn't it wouldn't wouldn't surprise me if it was Chris Tanov in the end. Yeah, all this talk about Ottawa, like for now it doesn't make any sense. I, I don't get, get that. Yeah, I get that they want to bring pros in and and mentors and all of that, but not Chris Tanov at this stage of his career with a chance to go to a serious contender, why would he go to Ottawa? Well, both sides, right? So like Chris Tanov, I think we all understand what he is a very good defensive defenseman. Um, you know, we'll play you tough. Not going to give you much offense. We know he's a bit older. You probably would be worried about a long-term contract. But if you're a team like, yeah, but for this playoff year, yes, we like him. And, but if you're a Chris Tan, if you're like, okay, well, I want to go to a team that has a chance of winning. That's not Ottawa. And if you're Ottawa, like, if I want to get a good, solid pro, a good, quality person, I'm going to get a quality person that costs me a third-rounder, not a guy that costs me a, a first-rounder and a top prospect. I, I don't. I don't see it. I get, I get why you'd want him, but I don't get why you'd pay that much for what he brings, given where you are. And I don't know if he'd even want to sign an extension there because he wants to play on a good team. And as he gets older, he'll need to play on a good team to be good. So um, I see a lot of teams liking him. I see Ottawa wanting him, but I'm with you. I don't even see a fit kind of on either side. Other than the fact that he's a good player and everybody should want him. Other than that, I don't really see it. Is there a legitimate market for Markstrom, and where might that be? Yes. I think there's two places. One, screaming for Jacob Markstrom. It's New Jersey. Screaming for Markstrom. Carolina's another one, but Freddie Anderson may be healthy. They've already been through five goalies this year. I don't know if they want to take on that term. They hate term, but Jersey? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, because Jersey is disappointed this year. Jack Hughes is coming back. When he's on the on the ice, they play comfortably at a playoff pace. They're just outside the playoff line. The Metro is right up for grabs. I don't know if any team is really good. I think Carolina's probably the best team without goaltending. But Jersey can afford the multi-year commitment of dollars. Uh, they have the cap space. They have the assets to give up to get them. And I wonder if Markstrom would say, okay, Jersey's a good enough team to get my attention to warrant me to waive. Because, they, you know, they'll be good this year, they'll be good next year, they'll give me a chance to be successful. And they really need what he could bring. So I, I think he is, you know, a flashing red light come to New Jersey. And, and if, if he goes to Jersey and plays well, Jersey all of a sudden becomes pretty scary in the playoffs. Yeah, we, we've seen Vanacek a couple of times. Does not look good against the Canadians. He hasn't looked good at all whenever he's played this season. With Mike Johnson in Toronto, Melnick in the afternoon on TSN 690 because he's busy with an NHLPA Zoom meeting at 5. Aaron Ward will follow at 4.05. John? Mike, how, how substantial do you think that the teardown or retool or whatever is going to be in Calgary? Like, is this going to be... I know they already have Coronado and Zari, and they have they have young guys who are already they're trying to get into the lineup and, and, and make sure that they get NHL experience, but like, is this... Could this stretch to a Nazem Kadri? Could this stretch to, to even bigger players on, on this team? So, I think they're in... You know, they'll call it a retool, not a rebuild, but I think it's going to be a couple-year process. We're going to, like, you know, get a little bit worse 
introduce more young players, uh, shed more salary, and, and then try to build it back up. Everyone will point to Jonathan Huberto. You can't do it with Huberto's contract. I'm like, well, you're not going to win with Huberto alone anyway. So you, you work around that deal. However long it is, however much it's for, it doesn't really matter. You just work around it. Nas, probably the same thing. I don't know how many people would take on that term at this point, even though, you know, in the short term they'd like him. But I think he's got four more years, maybe five more years in that deal. So that would be troublesome. But I do think, you know, with Hannafin gone and Tanev gone, Zadorov gone, Lindholm gone, maybe Markstrom gone, that team is drastically different already. That team is already, will then be fully in a retool, rebuild, whatever you want to call it. And it will take a couple of years for them to get decent. They won't go down to the worst in the league because they do have a, a foundation of enough good players. But they will not be a Stanley Cup contender. And I don't think that like, that's part of the plan. Get rid of the salaries, open up more options, and then go from there. All right, Kent Hughes, first thing that hit him in your mind after he heard about the trade last night was what? Okay, that's a big price for him. We got a centerman who's maybe not quite as good as him, but he's pretty good, and we would take half that package and be delighted. Like, that establishes the ceiling for the center market for this year's trade deadline, right? No no center who's a pending UFA will get more than Lindholm just um, what it just cost to get Lindholm. So that kind of can spur the conversation for Monaghan forward. Okay, that's what Lindholm was worth. We, what is Monaghan relative to that? I think that's where his mind goes right away. Um, you know, I, I wonder if he thinks, because the first-round pick, you know, it's, it is important, but it's also not. Because if you get a late first-round pick, if you get 27 or you get 34, the percentage chance of those players turning into a good NHL player are about the same. Like, you know, the tiers in the draft are like first three picks, three to 10, 10 to 25, 25 to 40. So, like, you know, if you're in the trash, it doesn't matter if you're kind of the front or the middle or the back of it. You're, the chances are about the same. So I don't know if he has to be so bent on getting the first-round pick, but, you know, I think it's going to be a pretty good return for Monaghan because there's just not a lot of quality centermen out there available that are pending UFAs that are playing as well as Sean Monaghan. Yeah, who is there? There's Adam Henrique, and now Adam I notice Henrique. the Flyers have said, "Hey, Scott Lawton's available now." I mean, that's not. He's a, what is he's got five goals, or uh, you know, yeah. he's, he's been a decent player for a long time. But that's not. I mean, you're a contending team. That's a total depth move with Monahan. It's an it's an impact. He, he's going to have an impact on a contending team. Well, and, and he's versatile. Can play up and down the lineup. He can play on the wing if he has to. He can take faceoffs. Um, if someone gets hurt, he can go up and score. He can play on the second power play unit. Been around a while. We understand he's not the fastest skater, but beyond that, there's not a lot to not like about him. I ran the board. I was all ready to put it on the next game I do. The highest scoring pending unrestricted free agent centers in the league, and I'll put Stamkos as a winger for the sake of this argument, Matt Duchesne is the highest scoring pending UFA. He obviously is not going to get traded out of Dallas. The next highest scorer is guess who? Sean Monaghan. So there just aren't guys who are pending UFA centermen who can put up points, who can play in your top six. Like, I think that it went Lindholm, then Max Domi, who has, like, five goals and 23 points. So there's just not a lot of players there that good teams would go and think, that guy can help us. Monaghan is one of those players, and that is good news for Canadians. Seemingly everyone else has been uh, on uh, on break at the moment here, uh, Mike, but uh, from, from a psychological standpoint, how big has been the last two victories for the Ottawa Senators against Nashville and then last night in OT against Detroit? Um, I mean, 
I think they're big in the sense that they stopped the stench of that ugly Ranger game because they had played well five games in a row and were really happy with how they were playing, and they thought they'd turn the corner. And every, you talk to the people there, and we're figuring it out. Guys are, guys are grasping what we're trying to do. We're changing what we're doing. We're heading in the right direction. And they had that brutal game up to nothing, lost 7-2 to the Rangers, and it could have spiraled the other way and say, nope, we're back to who we were. We're back to being bad defensively. And they responded with two more good wins. I, I think, yes, I know they're going on break, but break's going to be a lot nicer because everyone was feeling a bit better about themselves. And I do think there has been some tangible changes, better defense, better awareness, better pressure up ice, more commitment to get the puck back. A lot of the stuff that Jacques Martin was trying to implement, which he didn't was not able to for 10 games, he's sort of done it. Now I think they're 5-1-2 and two in their last eight, and all their underlying numbers are way better. So there is progress being made in Ottawa. But I'll only caution with this. seems like the last three years, Ottawa has played much better in the second half of the season when they have been out of the playoff chase. <laughs> so I will be skeptical that they are going to, you know, that they've learned, that they've changed, that they've figured it out until they do it in October. But it's better than the alternative, and they're heading in the right direction for now. So Nashville back at full strength. Shots 18 13, Predators, Kings have a 1 0 lead. Chuck score! Now 2 0. Turcotte is first in the National Hockey League. Okay, I had to do a double take, Mike Johnson, when I saw Alex Turcotte's goal and then a close up of him. It was like seeing a ghost. <laughs> Alfie Turcotte was a yep. Canadian's first round pick in the early 80s, and there. <laughs> I'll never forget a scene, Elliot Price and I and a couple of media types. We're in our early 20s, and it's a crowded Friday night, and Alfie's just signed his first contract with Sir Savard, and he said, drinks for the entire bar, I'm going to be a millionaire. And, you know, his career, he played for a long time, but his career just never panned out in the NHL. His son is like a dead ringer for, for Alfie. It did, has that happened to you through your years now, you know, running into players, sons of guys you played against or played with where you had to do a double take? Absolutely. And I mean, I'm right in the thick of it. So many of my former teammates' kids are in the NHL or about to be in the NHL. And, you know, I, I started with Max Domi. Like, you know, I knew Max when he was three years old. And I'm like, you know, I see him now growing up and I'm like, you don't look quite like Ty, but you are certainly Ty's kid. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, you know, I think about the Kachuk brother, especially Brady. He's got a little bit of like a younger Keith Kachuk look to him. Not quite identical, but it's certainly a younger look to him. Um, so, yeah, like there's lots of guys around the league that uh, uh, I was doing the World Juniors, and I had a chance to see Gabe Perot, who's Yannick's kid, right. who I play with Yannick in Toronto, really good NHL player. And I'm like, oh, yeah, you are exactly your son, your dad's son. Um, yeah, you're just like a younger, thinner version of Yannick. This is, this is unbelievable. So um, it's, I think, you know, the nature-nurture thing, there's probably some sort of genetics thing when your dad is a professional athlete. You might have the chance to have the genetics to give yourself that opportunity. But there's also the idea that so many of these kids, all the ones I just mentioned, grew up around the rink, grew up on the ice all the time, grew up in a wealthy household that could afford what hockey costs, and, and then gave them a good opportunity to, to kind of make the most of whatever natural talent they had. But um, yeah, it's it's wild to see all the second, third generation players coming through, and lots of former teammates that are um, that are in the NHL now and will be shortly. All right, I'm um, 
I'm surprising Mike Johnson with this one. So let's see. Okay. How, let's see how he can do. Oh boy! <laughs> now, Luca, Luca, what team did you? Uh, Luca's a big Lakers fan growing up, and he named uh, like a good chunk of the what was it? Oh nine, oh nine, ten, oh nine, ten Lakers. Mike, you played one year in Montreal. How many of the teammates on that team do you think you can name who played about twenty five or thirty games? I'm sure I can name twenty of them. Okay, let's go. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So <laughs> I played with Radic Bonk and Alexander Perizhogin the entire time. We had Chris Higgins. Boy, you didn't Mike get Bryant. much help. <laughs> yeah, well, listen, I was trying to get off that third line desperately, but I couldn't. We were just checkers the whole time. Yeah. But we had Chris Higgins and Mike Ryder and Saku and Sergey Samsonov and Thomas Botanics and Alex Kovalev. We had Abisher and Hue and a brief appearance by Halak in net. We had Marky Markov. We had Craig Reve. We had Sheldon Sure. We had Frankie Boo, Francis Francois Bouillon. We had De- Matthew Dandino. We had Garth Murray. We had Aaron Downey. Wow. Um, okay. That's, 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 you're going to the deep cuts. No, no disrespect to Aaron Downey. <laughs> there's one dude. There's one dude. I was waiting to see if you were gonna you're, if you were gonna name him. He was he was good friends with Saku, um, but uh, because there's a story. Oh, we had Yanni Ninema. Yeah, Yanni Ninema. <laughs> yeah. That guy. There is not enough airtime and not enough censorship to tell the stories about Yanni. He was. I told a a story about what happened one St. Patrick's night at Hurley's. Okay, and I'm not going to I'm not going to repeat it here because when I told the story and Saku was looking for him and he had to come through a mob and he he found them, but he wasn't wearing any pants. And uh, so let's leave it at that. And uh, I walked into the Bell Center for the next game. Enrico Ciccone punched me in the shoulder, said you shouldn't have told that story. I said, Enrico, it was St. Patrick's Day night. It, there was like 450 people in the bar. It wasn't a, a private audience. <laughs> uh, not top secret here. Yeah, not top secret. Okay, what uh, are you most looking forward to this weekend, if anything? So I'm, I'm looking forward to the skills thing. It's revamped. I love the fact that the stars are in it. The fact that McDavid and Matthews and Nylander and Hughes, like the, the best players that you want to see, McKinnon, McCarr, they're in the skills contest. Like, that's better. Um, I want to see them try for a million bucks. Like, I know they're all wealthy, but a million dollars, like, if you're going to ask me to take a couple breakaways for a million bucks, like, I'm going to try hard. And so that'll be interesting to see. And then there's always news coming out of the, of the, of the all-star break. So not just trades, but sort of league news and whatever is going to be going on there. So um, the actual all-star game, you know, uh, it's not necessarily for me. It's fun to watch, but kids and sponsors and the business of hockey enjoy it. But uh, I think the skills thing, given that it's different, smaller, kind of quicker moving, more traditional context, guys don't have to dress up in costumes and fiddle with pox. They're just kind of they're just going to do their thing. Um, I think they'll enjoy it more, and it'll be, it'll be I will enjoy it more as well. Mike, do you think that the, the and this has been kind of a beef I've had with the All-Star game for a while, and that there has to be a representative from every team. Like this is like some participation trophy. Or doesn't that devalue actually being an NHL All Star? Like, and I don't want to take shots at the captain here, but like Nick Suzuki is a very, very good player. Is he playing at an All Star level though? Not necessarily, but because someone needs to go for the Montreal Canadiens, Nick Suzuki is going. I'd love to get your opinion on whether you think the All Star gets devalued by the the participation of everyone in the National Hockey League. I, yes, 100%. I am with you 100%. Having said that, the All-Star game is, is not really for the players. It's for the business of hockey. And the business of hockey doesn't want any market to have a reason to not pay attention. 
right? Like every team wants a reason for their fans. Like, oh, what did Frankie Vitrano do, right? Like even though he's probably not one of the best 40 players in the league, Anaheim needs somebody to come play. So I see both sides of it for sure. I thought one way to solve this is if, let's say, somebody in Anaheim has a really hard shot. Let that guy come, represent the Ducks, and be a like a skill-specific participant, like a like three-point shooter or a slam dunk guy. Like just like you're there for the fastest skater. If you're the, if you're one of the fastest skaters in the league, who cares if you're good or not? You can come and represent your team, and that would count as your team's representation for the game. That would be one way to maybe shave two or three or four players out, where more worthy players could then be participating in the actual game. I like that a lot. I, I, I remember going back to your era as well. I would have loved to have seen Todd Marshawn at the All-Star Game for the right. Oilers, who was a flyer, but of course he never got there. He was the Josh Anderson of his day, a breakaway a night with no goals. <laughs> <laughs> that was the, the Cujo would always joke. He'd get eight, 26 breakaways a year. He'd get three of them. <laughs> Except you look at the stats. He had one year in Columbus. He had like 25 goals and 65 points. Unheard of production, and he signed like an $18 million contract, like a six-year, $20 million contract, which at the time was a lot. Based on that one year. Check it out, because he was like, he hit it once, and that's all he had to do to get the, for the right time to get a new deal. <laughs> uh, nicely done on uh, naming the roster of the 07 Canadians. That was impressive. Uh, thank you. Have a terrific weekend. We'll talk again on Tuesday uh, ahead of the Canadians and Capitals. All right, guys. Have a great weekend. Thank you. Aaron Ward, an hour earlier than normal. He, too, is busy this All-Star weekend. He's next. I keep it hardcore like you never saw you want to be.